Welcome back to Who's on the Lord's Side. In this episode, I will be discussing Islam, uh, the religion, and the false prophet Muhammad. I will be using the book From Babylon to Timbuktu, A History of the Ancient Black Races, including the Black Hebrews by Rudolf R. Windsor as um, a source. This is a really great book um, that you all should pick up. I'll be doing a short episode soon on the books that I use or read in case you wanted to just get them and follow along or if you're just interested in reading more of the book yourselves. So I'll be using that. I'll also be using a, um article that references the actual Islamic history books concerning Muhammad's past, uh, his history, how he started the religion. And I will also cite those passages or which books or which Islamic-inspired books those are from that are well-known to the people who are not only of the religion, but who take the time to actually do the study of their history and their background <clears throat> to show that I'm not just pulling it out of air. And then I'll also be using the Bible as um, a final source of proof to either discredit so-called Muhammad's claim or discredit Muhammad's claim as to what it was that he heard or saw when he got his revelation from an angel. So before I get into that or what he believed he saw, which will be discussed, I'm going to go and start with them from Babylon to Timbuktu, where it starts with the birth of Islam. So Muhammad was born um, an Arab. And as we know, the Arab line is a descendant of Ishmael, which was Abraham's first, not Abraham's firstborn son, but it wasn't a son, a legitimate son. He was the illegitimate son with the Egyptian woman, Hagar. Okay. And even though he was not supposed to be the heir of the promise to start, you know, the the promise of the, uh, yes, he did start a nation which added to Abraham's many seeds. He was not supposed to, he was not the one that was to be used as the one to start the bloodline that would eventually lead down to the Messiah. That was Isaac, the child that he had with his wife, Sarah. So anyway, through Ishmael, because God promised him to be a mighty nation, you have the Arab nation. <clears throat> but at the time when Muhammad was born, um, a lot of his people, the Arab people, were still worshiping the sun, the stars, the spirits, and idols. And you know that because if you look, you know they have like the crescent moon thing as a symbol on there. So the, um, at the time, they had about 360 idols. And even though there's 365 days of the year, they technically modeled each god or idol after each day of the year. So the technique was, was like literally almost a different God for each day of the year. That means that they were of a, of a pagan people. So they never really stuck to God. And it kind of makes sense because you yeah, remember um, his mother, Hagar, was an, was an Egyptian, which is another pagan, right? So it says that Muhammad was born in 570 AD, okay? And that in the early years of Muhammad's life, he passed his time as a shepherd boy. And that... um he later became a camel driver. Now, when he was a camel driver, he ended up traveling to remote lands um, with caravans. And through those little, I guess you could say, expeditions and travels to Persia, Syria, Egypt, and doing business with merchants of every kind, um, on his business trips, he would encounter Jews, Christians, and, and people of other sects. Okay, so when he would run into them, 
he would interrogate them, I guess, about their religions or see what they believed. And being that he frequented a lot of the Jews' environments and met a lot of their, of their rabbis, he just became kind of like, I guess you could say, in awe of them. And he also considered them, what, from what Rudolf Windsor says, is like an omnipresent ethnic group. So some, it's a group that just always seemed to be present, even in the Arab area of his land. They had... um. I guess you could say Jews of the day or high higher up Jews who kind of had, had like a small community amongst Arabs. So they say that much of what he learned or extracted from the Jewish religion, being that he was around them so much, he compounded with the new religion that he later called or founded to be Islam. Now we have when um, Khadijah, his, I would say his first wife, enters into the picture. So Khadijah was a rich widow. And she heard of the good reputation of Muhammad and asked him to take care because he was a good uh, businessman. He did a lot of travels concerning other business. So she employed him to go take care of her business. And um, he ended up doing so. But when he did so, he did it with really good results and returned home to find that um, Khadijah was beautiful. So beforehand, he was just sent on assignment. He hadn't seen her. You know what I'm saying? This was the first time he actually really seen her. And Khadijah herself was also not only thankful by the way that he handled her business and affairs, but they said that, you know, she was also pleased or, or overwhelmed or taken back by the manner in which he presented himself to her. <clears throat> now, Muhammad, they said, wasn't a tall man. You know, he had broad shoulders that made him look tall, but at the same time, he wasn't, and he had curly, woolly hair which gave them um, the appearance of, um, you know, just being attractive. So finally, we find that Muhammad marries Khadijah, who is a rich woman in the city of Mecca. So now we understand where Mecca comes into play, because, you know, Mecca is where they turn around and they, you know, they worship five times a day. Now, we're going to keep going and we're going to learn more. So there was about three stages to the Islamic Revolution. Um... We're going to talk now, or um, this is where we get introduced into how he got into Islam or, or got the word to decide to, you know, write down in a book, so, so to speak, you know, what happened or what transpired. So, Muhammad spent many days in the hills outside of Mecca, okay? And when he did so, it was like a cave and things that he would do too. And so, because he supposedly wanted to lead them away from idolatry and um, wanted to supposedly lead them into something better, he felt at the time that he was visited by the archangel Gabriel, who who is mentioned in the Bible on more than one occasion, okay? So he believes that the archangel Gabriel appeared to him and commissioned him to articulate a new religion or substitute the old religion for this new religion, okay? And incidentally... Um, you know, they, they, he, he interpreted to be the same Gabriel or whatever, who visited the prophet Daniel, the prophet, um, um, Zachariah, I mean, Zachariah and also, which was Elizabeth's husband and also Mary. Okay. And we're going to talk about that later. <clears throat> so it says that he came to really believe that he was a prophet based on this, on these visions right now. The Old Testament had been translated into Arabic at that time. So a lot of the Arabic people were reading the Old Testament and they were getting very um, happy and 
and prideful because they were reading about their ancestors and the story, learning how they were descendants of Ishmael, um, who was um, one of the Hebrew patriarchs, you know, and how they were going to be a great nation. So Muhammad took it upon himself to use this as advantage, and he helped to kind of inspired the Arabs into a feeling of nationalism and racial pride, you know, because they did technically read that the Hebrew scriptures said that, that, you know, Ishmael was to become a great nation. And so he masterminded the first stage of his revolution by kind of undermining and discrediting um, the established, the, 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 the ones that preceded him, the, the beliefs and customs, and uh, started questioning their political, social institutions, right? So pretty much... He starts to set up um, the Kaaba and Mecca and speak out against idolatry because, you know, he was, that was the whole beginning point of his. He did want to find a way to do that. And then supposedly he started having these visions. Now, <clears throat> they said that when he returned to Mecca, he would, the opposition was against him. And there was a law enacted that anybody who accepted Islam would be exiled. Now, when the leaders of the city of Mecca were informed that Muhammad was gaining um, converts, you know, um, that's when, um, you know, they started to, 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 to try to stop him from doing this thing. And then he fled to another area. So Muhammad had a lot of problems getting started. But eventually he gets started. Um, and we find... We find that um, I'm trying to find the area where I want to read to you from the book how he just stole from the Jews of the day. And then you tell me and then we're going to move on from there. So. So it says the prophet Muhammad adopted many principles and laws from the Jewish religion. They said, first of all, the basic idea of monotheism, which is the belief in one God, he took from the Jews. The Jewish confession of the unity of God is Shama Israel Adonai Elohinu Adonai Ehad, which translates to here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Mohammedan slogan is as followed. And I'm not going to shout it, but because that's what they say. And then it translates into there is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. Now, if you look into, well, if you look at how um, they translate and write the two for the Hebrew, for the original Hebrew, the Shama Israel Adonai Elohinu Adonai Ahad. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God. The God in this one is capital G. But when they translate the Mohammedan slogan, there is no God but Allah. The there is no God is a little g. Okay, so it's, it's very interesting that the author even did that. Because probably when they did the translation, even in the translation, I keep trying to tell you, a capital G is a real God. A little g is a, is a um, fallen angel demon manifest. <clears throat> so, Muhammad adopted also the main details of the Jewish calendar. The Day of Atonement, the Sabbath, much of the Bible, and narratives from the Midrash, and many points of the ritual law. So there's a lot of things that he took and just adopted. It was kind of like a copy and a paste. Now, you now this is important to know because just like you know, you should know the foundation of any religion. You know, just to know if it, now we all know some. I know I, I have um, Muslim brother friends in, in, in that nature. Now, so many women I hear in NYC, I'm not saying they're not Muslim women, but more men than anything else. And I'll talk about that as well. So, and I've had um, one friend from high school who was a Christian male who went into um, Islam later. So, this is, um, 
something that they're very, very adamant about and very strong like in their beliefs concerning him. But I don't know that a lot of even my male friends have actually took the time to do the studying into it. Now, if I was part of a religion and I woke up to something like this, like I can't ignore this if it's fact, especially since I'm going to go and shine some more light on this um, in another and another um, books and areas of theirs, their own books, their own history recordings of their own so-called prophet of great that they um, was the last prophet or whatever and see what they say concerning his history that a lot of people don't know. You know what I'm saying? And it even says that a lot of people don't know. And it's like, if I found that out, then I would kind of question things, you know? So that's why I said, we're going to talk about that today. <clears throat> and then, of course, there's other ways you could break it down. I mean, there's too much even in their Quran that tells them to follow the good book, so... But we'll talk about that one another day. Okay, so it says that Muhammad adopted all those uh, things that I mentioned earlier. And while the Jews pray three times a day facing the city of Jerusalem, the Muslims, which Muslims translates to true believers, pray five times a day facing the city of Mecca, okay, which we're going to see how that happened as well, because Jerusalem is the holy city, you know, how did Mecca come to be? So trying his best, they said Muhammad sought to convert the Jews to his new religion, but to no avail. The Jews were adamant and resistant to change. The high esteem which the prophet held for the Jews was transformed to enmity. And instead of allies, he looked upon them as competitors. Muhammad needed the confirmation of the influential Jews to validate his mission, as all upstarts need the backing of someone influential. Muhammad therefore turned against the Jews and became their tormentor. Okay. They said, much Muhammad tried to construct his religion as closely as he could after Jewish religion, he favored the Jews by accepting many of their laws and traditions. When the Jews refused to be converted, he commanded his followers to stop turning to the holy city of Jerusalem in prayer, but rather to turn to the city of Mecca. He changed the Jewish Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement or Fast Day, which he had accepted for the month of Ramadan now, okay? So now he changed it for Ramadan. Instead of a day, he turned it to Ramadan. Muhammad changed the Jewish Sabbath from Saturday to Friday. That's why you have Muslims have Juma. Juma is their sacred day. Everybody have a Sabbath. And then, of course, the Jews is Saturday. But we're getting a history. As you can see, it's just somebody who just decided to change things around. It's very similar to Rome, the Council of Nicaea, and the Roman Emperor Constantine, and the way they played around with the books and how people just make up new religions every day. You know, this is no different. This is not a real prophet. We'll talk about the visions and things in a little while as well. And then they said, um, in the fourth century, it's the same thing as when the church um, changed the Sabbath to Sunday, exactly, and reorganized the calendar to make Easter separate of Passover. Like Christianity, like Christianity also, Muhammad included in his Bible, the Quran, accusations concerning the Jews. Nevertheless, the Quran glorifies many biblical personalities, which I've mentioned before. I have the Tanakh, I have the Bible, and I have the Quran. I read the three of them, and the 
only difference that I find, because like I said, all the heavyweights from the um, Old Testament, the Noahs, the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the 12 tribes. Yeah, the 12 tribes is mentioned in um, the Quran. That's all they talk about is, is more like as if they're talking to the 12 tribes, you know what I'm saying, or something. So you know that they, they like Muhammad or whoever knew about the 12 tribes is, is very, but where do they differ at is the Messiah. Okay, and we'll talk about that as well, because the, the Jewish people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't, but some do, because you have Jews for Christ. So I won't say that they don't, because you have Jews for Christ. Some don't, many don't, but some do. And then you have the Christians, of course, and the Catholics who believe on the Messiah. And then you have um, the Muslims who believe that he was a prophet. They always say peace be unto him, like they do all their other prophets, but. They believe that he was too great of a guy to have been killed on the cross. That God put his image on, or his image on uh, the body of another man, and that he saved him up, or that Jesus was translated, but that he is the one who will definitely be coming back to fight, but not that he was ever a deity, half angel, half half man, half um, thing, which is where they go wrong. And it's a, it's a very big damning wrong because that's to deny the virgin birth. To deny the virgin birth is to deny the power of the Holy Spirit or to um, to um, blaspheme the Holy Ghost, which um, the Lord said is the only sin that will not be forgiven of mankind. And we're going to talk about that as well in another day. So <clears throat> it says, just in order to win the pagans into the church, Christianity adopted a lot of barbaric and pagan customs and traditions. Yeah, like the Easter bunny on um, Easter Sunday, which bunnies don't lay eggs. And then, you know, they they still do like Halloween stuff and let the kids celebrate Halloween. And then, of course, at Christmas time, there's a um, tree worship with the Christmas tree and then the toys. And it's, notice how both Christmas and Easter are somehow related to the kids. They managed to put the kids into it because even if adults decide they don't want to participate because it is almost childish and childlike. Even if, you know, they don't want to participate, they can say, well, you know, the kids want to do it. The kids want an Easter basket. The eat the kids want this chocolate egg, you know, all to represent Ishtar, where they get the term Easter as the god of fertility, which is why you have eggs because bunnies are mammals and they don't lay eggs. I mean, if you think about it, you, they did that, or they attributed those pagan holidays onto the church because they were trying to convert pagans over and to win them over. They kind of tried to cheapen God by adding pagan traditions, and so this is what you have with Muhammad trying to set up his own thing. So, yeah, so it says that, um, likewise, Muhammad, to gain the loyalty of pagan Arabs. You see what I'm saying? So just like the church wanted to do that, Muhammad, to gain the loyalty of pagan Arabs, adopted many of their beloved customs. So the Kaaba stone, which is literally an idol, you know, it, and there's something in the Bible that mentions that. I'll talk about that in another episode because I don't have the scripture off the top of my head. But it says something about bowing down, worshiping to stones. And it wasn't just talking about stone statues. So the Kaaba stone, which is an idol, um, was received as a high regard to the new religion. Also, the pagan temple at Mecca uh, remained a holy site. So as you can see from what I read, all this man did was get mad because why? The Jews were adamant to resist change. And when Muhammad tried his best to seek to have the Jews convert to his new religion, it didn't work because the Jews were adamant and resistant to change. And so because he was very prideful, his admiration and high respect for the Jews turned to enmity. And from there, he said, you know what, I'm going to flip flop 
what I'm doing. And instead of honoring the original ways of your religions that I kind of stole to adapt my new religion, I'm going to flip these things around from fasting from Sabbath to Friday being Juma, which is the new Sabbath. Forget the Day of Atonement. We're going to have a month of atonement. We're going to call it um, Ramadan. And nobody's facing Jerusalem anymore. I'm going to make the, the holy city where I met my first wife, Khadijah. The, you can see how, I mean, like if you hear it now, you know, somebody who maybe don't have a background, you know, this is not stuff that's made up. It's just what it is. <clears throat> and then lastly, this is Muhammad. It says in the fanatical stage of the revolution, he was a beast, meaning in the, la in the second stage of the Islamic revolution, he became a beast. And was ruthless, bloody, and chaotic. The throats of men were cut from ear to ear. This is what Muhammad was doing. And they said there was an absence of rationalism and extreme fanaticism set in. They said he went to a he became to a point at um he came to a point of no return. He became a religious extremist in order to give his people a better life on a rapid scale. Okay, he came to the conclusion that all means of persuasion had been exhausted. The period of patience and pass was passed, and he was now determined to propagate his religion by the sword. For he said, I, last of the prophets, am sent with a sword. The sword is the key to heaven and hell. All who draw it in the name of faith will be rewarded. Muhammad became a martial prophet, and the pagans and stubborn Jews became his victims. In the year 627, the Battle of the Fas occurred. The Jewish tribes were defeated by the armies of Muhammad. 700 Jews were gathered in the marketplace and offered the alternative, the Quran or the sword. But the devout Jews were accustomed to martyrdom. They did not hesitate in their choice. Muhammad carried out his bestiality threat and executed the Jews and the women were sold. Okay. <clears throat> and that's how it went on and on and on and on and on. And then he just basically established that. So that's all that we have from um, Babylon Timbuktu. I'm going to take a break. And then when I come back, we're going to talk about the article that I found. And we're going to talk about um, how... So we talk, we see how the religion came about and we see that, um, a lot of the stuff that he changed or the reason how these holy cities got picked out and all of that was really just a bunch of man-made nonsense that really has nothing to do with being inspired by God at all, let alone the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is the true God of this world and this universe and all. Okay. When I come back though, I'm going to discuss, um, what led him to start this fanatical thing, which was this vision that he saw. So we're going to chop down this vision based on the history books that they have on him, their own Islamic history books or, or references based on their, um, leaders up top who have written on the subject. See you in a little bit. All right, welcome back to Who's on the Lord's Side. I am happy to be discussing this topic with you all today. It's one that um, came into my heart. Again, this is just like a brief introduction. I will come back and do another episode on it another time because it's really broad. But right now, I just wanted to just base this episode on the history, the roots, and the origin, the mindset of the man who supposedly was the greatest of their prophets, you know, what really happened, and then you decide, okay, I'll tell you my personal beliefs as well, as I always do, but I just feel like the proof is always in the pudding, so without further ado, 
It's um, we're going to talk about Muhammad's suicide attempts. Okay, there's not a lot of people that know that Muhammad was very extremely suicidal, and you know it's is important to note at what point in time in his life he became suicidal. So we're going to look into that now. So here we are. This is narr- narrated by Aisha. Okay. Um, it says Aisha it says ninety six point ninety six point fifteen. It says the commencement of the divine inspiration to Allah's apostle was in the form of good, righteous, true dreams in his sleep. He never had a dream, but that it came true like bright day light. He used to go in seclusion to the cave of Hera where he used to worship Allah alone continuously for many days and nights. He used to take with him the journey food for that stay and then come back to his wife Khadijah to take his food likewise again for another period to stay. Till suddenly the truth descended upon him while he was in the cave of Hira. The angel came to him in it and asked him to read okay now before before i get to that before i get into before i continue on with that i just want to go back to for babylon to timbuktu and then just want to read something about him Uh, let's see all right so on page 45 um on in the birth of islam section from babylon to timbuktu it says because he was not because he could not read or write talking about Muhammad it says because he could not read or write his ears were attentive and keen to everything that the Jews related to him i read this earlier but i just want to bring it back to recollection because he could not read or write so this was the understanding cuz like i said the resources used for the book um the babylon from babylon simple to is very 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 credible it says the same thing right here The angel came to him and asked him to read. The prophet replied, I do not know how to read. The prophet added, "Um, the angel caught me forcefully and pressed me so hard that I could not bear it anymore. He then released me again and asked me to read. And I replied, I do not know how to read. Whereupon he caught me again and pressed me a second time till I could not bear it anymore. He then released me and asked me again to read. But again, this is like the third time. I replied, I do not know how to read or what shall I read? Thereupon he caught me for the third time and pressed me. And released me and said, read in the name of your Lord, who has created all that exists, has created man from a clot. Read and your Lord is most generous up to that which he knew not. Okay, and this is 96.15 and this is narrated by Aisha. Now. If we listen to that alone, that just sounds rather odd and it just sounds rather strange. Now, I would like everyone to also note, right, 
that in the narrated Aisha version 96.15, it clearly says that the angel came to him in it and asked him to read. It just says the angel. All we know is angel means messenger. Now, whether an angel just means messenger. Now, whether it's a good angel or a bad angel, all depends on if it fell from grace and left with the um, one-third and, and Satan or Lucifer when left fell from heaven, or if they're a good angel, meaning they never left their estate and they are pretty much still obedient to God by by will, right? It just says angel. It just says angel. Okay, so as far as I'm concerned, it was a fallen angel. So the angel came into him and, and asked him to read. He said he don't know how. The angel caught him forcefully and pressed him so hard he couldn't bear it anymore. Then released him, told him again, read. I don't know how. He caught him again, pressed him a second time. Then he released him again and said, read. He said, I don't know. And then again for the third time, he pressed him. So all I hear here is like this thing that's bullying him or or went to press or I don't know anything about an angel ever touching a, a, a human in the Bible. I'm not saying they can't. And the one that I knew that did, that did actually touch one was um, the angel that wrestled that that um, Jacob wrestled with all night long, who ended up touching him in the hip, and he walked with a limp after that. And then they say that from, from then on they don't eat the sinew or the. Um, cartilage I think part of the animal because of that reason so that's the only time that I specifically know of now I'm not saying an angel cannot touch you but I'm saying even if an angel did touch you in the bible it wasn't never and it, it doesn't it wasn't to hurt you like I don't even know that it, that Jacob felt it as a pain but trust me when I tell you I don't know of any kind of situation or encounter with a, a heavyweight in the bible or someone in the bible with an angel that had an experience that was as awkward as this okay now, okay, now, it says that Allah's apostle returned with the inspiration, his neck muscles twitching with terror till he entered upon Khadijah, his wife, and said, cover me, cover me. They covered him till his fear was over. And then he said, oh, Khadijah, what is wrong with me? Then he told her everything what had happened and said, I fear that something may have happened to me. Kadisha said, never, but have glad tidings for by Allah, Allah will never disgrace you and keep good relations with your kirth and kin. Speak the truth, help the poor and the destitute, serve your guests generously and assist the deserving calamity afflicted ones, right? So then Khadijah, his wife, takes her to... So it takes him to her cousin named Warkar. And this is what Warkar say. Warkar says this. This is the same Namos, which is also translated to Gabriel. This he basically saying, okay, based on what you told me, the cousin and um, Muhammad, it sounds to me like the same is Namos, which will be translated to Gabriel, the angel who keeps the secrets. And then he said, um, I wish I were young and I wish I could live up to the time when you're, you know, when I could see this play out. This is what Warquara or whatever says to um, so-called Allah's apostle. And so um, he says pretty much for a second time, I wish I could remain alive until the day, blah, blah, blah. So then it says, but after a few days, he did eventually die. This is Raraka. And the divine inspiration was also paused for a while. 
And the prophet Muhammad became so sad as we have heard that he intended to several times throw himself from the tops of high mountains. Okay, so the vision stopped. He wasn't hearing anything anymore. The only reason now that he believes that it's the angel Gabriel based on their own records is because that Khadijah, his wife who was a widow, but she was very rich, had a cousin, I guess, who they felt could interpret dreams or something. The cousin said, it sounds to me that this is the angel and of the Hebrews whose name is Gabriel. And it sounds like he's, he has something to tell you, the one of the one who keeps the secrets. Okay, so to speak. So now, while they're just hanging out and waiting, because he doesn't see or hear any visions anymore, he starts to get so depressed that he starts to want to throw himself from several times. He tries to throw himself from the tops of high mountains. And they said that every time he went on top of a mountain in order to throw himself down, supposedly the angel Gabriel would appear before him and say, Oh, Muhammad, you are indeed Allah's apostle in truth. And every time he would hear that, he, you know, his heart would become comforted and he would be calm and he would return home. But then again, whenever a period of time would come um, where he didn't hear or see a vision or anything, he would do the same thing again, go to the top of a mountain, try to kill himself. But then supposedly Gabriel would appear before him and say to him the same thing that he said before, meaning, you know, okay. And now you can find these um, in Ibn Abbas. Um, he is that cleaves the daybreak from darkness, 6.96, um, that al-ashba, asba, A-S-B-A, means the light of sun during the day, and then also the sahi, S-A-H-I-H, authentic hadith traditions of Bukhari 2, volume 9, number 111, okay, now, I just want to read a few more and then go back to the Bible after this to close out. So Muhammad, it says, um, read it and he, he said, so I, Muhammad, read it and he, Gabriel, departed from me. Okay. And I awoke from my sleep and it was as though these words were written in my heart. Okay. So, um, I will go to the top of the mountain and throw myself down that I may kill myself and gain rest. So I went forth to do so. Then when I was midway to the mountain, I heard a voice from heaven saying, O Muhammad, thou art the apostle of God, and I am Gabriel. So this is something that just keeps on happening. So it says, the inspiration ceased to come to the messenger for a while. I was deeply grieved, and I went to the mountain again. It just like it's just a re recurring thing. So few people are just basically aware of Muhammad's suicide attempts, especially following his initial visitation by a spirit. It was just a spirit that claimed to be Gabriel, but in all honesty, it didn't claim to be Gabriel. It seems as if well, it claimed to be it claimed to be Gabriel later. It seems as if in the beginning it was just told that it was an angel, and that it wasn't until he was sharing with somebody else that it said Gabriel. Well, we know the demon heard that and said, you know what, if that's what they believe, now I'm just going to say that my name is Gabriel. I don't know that in the initial thing that it said that my name is Gabriel because all it kept saying in the beginning is read, read, read. Okay. So basically, um, Muhammad would be frantic with fear, attempt suicide, walk to the top of a mountain, attend to throw himself off a cliff, you know. And then later, over the course of the next, like, three, four years, the, the, the visitations by the Spirit became um, less and less. And he would, again, become suicidal on and off. And, you know, when you think about this and you think about um, other people of the Bible who have encountered God, 
you know, like for instance, Noah in Genesis 6, you know, God speaks to Noah and tells him that he is going to destroy the earth. Noah does not panic, become depressed, or driven by fear because fear is not a spirit of God. Fear is not, fear doesn't come from God. God does not give a spirit of fear. It's in the Bible, okay? He knows that this God speaking to him, um, you know, and there is no need for rash reaction. Noah knows that this is God, and Noah does not become irrational. He doesn't become um, sad, or he doesn't try to harm himself, okay? Abraham now. What about Abraham in, in through um, chapters uh, 12 through 18 of Genesis? God speaks to Abraham. Abraham doesn't panic. Abraham is not bewildered. Abraham does not doubt or become depressed. Abraham believes and obeys. God visited Abraham, yet neither he nor Sarah ever attempted anything as crazy as Muhammad supposedly did. Okay, now God appeared um, to Moses in a burning bush. Moses was afraid to look at God, but Moses did not act paranoid, for he knew that this God was not a God of terror. Moses did not run back to his family, frightened out of his mind, saying, cover me, cover me, cover me. And they all had to cover him and hold him until he felt better. Boys, what's, what's, he didn't say he had to say, what's going on with me? I think something happened to me. Come on. I mean, you don't hear that. Is that Moses did not become depressed over the event. You know, he did not think he was possessed or bewitched. And Isaiah, you know, Isaiah had powerful visions and experiences of God, and he didn't lose his mind. You know, nobody got a vision and lost his mind. He, he was not driven by dread of God. You know, if they feared God, they feared God because of the sin that was in their hearts <clears throat> and the sinfulness of the people that they dwelt upon or among, but they didn't panic. And then I'm going to, you know, I want to talk about that, you know, Gabriel. I'm going to bring over this. Um, I'm going to bring over this um, scriptures that I found concerning Gabriel in the Bible. Let's 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 uh, read where Gabriel appears in the Bible. And then we're going to discuss how his interactions with those humans, how they differ from the supposed one that he had with um that he had with um, the so-called angel that was an imposter, Gabriel. Okay, so Daniel chapter 8, verse 15. It says, And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, and behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. Okay. Now, look, he said he saw the appearance of a man. I'm going to talk about another. I'm going to make a whole another episode about how angels look like just like us, except for their meals. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said unto but he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face towards the ground, but he touched me and set me upright, okay, and said, Behold, I will make thee I will make thee know what shall be in the last end day of indignation. And then he breaks down all the way up into 
all the way into verse 26 was going to happen. And then um, that's that. So then you have, let's see, Daniel's 9 and chapter 9, verse 21 through 27. Then it says, Yea, I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision. Now, notice how he says, even the man Gabriel. See? And he didn't say angel, but he said the man, because he looks like a man. We're going to talk about that in another episode. Even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening of ablation, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Now listen to this. He said, Daniel, I'm coming here to give you skill and understanding. Well, when the other Gabriel went to give um, supposed Muhammad, when this Gabriel was supposed to go, but when he went to Muhammad, let's just imagine this is the same Gabriel. But when he went to Muhammad, he wasn't even knowledgeable of the fact that Muhammad was illiterate and couldn't read. Hello, does that make any sense? Muhammad was illiterate, but you done squeezed him and beat him up a hundred times so I'm to write something. Does that sound right? You would already know. Meanwhile, he's talking to Daniel. He's like, Daniel, I'm here to give you skill and understanding. But this one couldn't even, he had to beat the crap out of him, squeeze the crap out of him, press the crap out of him, basically intimidate the crap out of him just to get him to simply say something out loud and then eventually had to put the words in his heart. It's just weird. You know what I'm saying? You got to think about these things. So <clears throat> it says that um, I'm here to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth and I came to show thee for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. See, at, he said, and at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I came to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. This sounds like a loving angel. This just Gabriel that we're reading about. This doesn't sound nothing like that Gabriel that we read about that um, was visited, uh, that, that false prophet Muhammad. Okay, and then again... It goes on to the Messiah and he and prophesies about the Messiah and then that's it. But that's all that you have there. And then we're going to go and see about um, how the angel Gabriel appears unto Zechariah, which was uh, Elizabeth's uh, husband. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are the mother of John the Baptist, right? So in Luke chapter 1 verse 13, we have... Gabriel coming in. Okay, so it says, But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Meaning John um, the Baptist. Now, right now it just says angel, but then it continues to say, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now, remember I told you that diet, um, John had that special diet. <laughs> my boss said that even when he was in the, in the thing, he was eating clean. He was eating locusts and honey was not necessarily unclean. But the bugs he was eating, was it was locusts. So he was still eating a clean diet. And, you know, he didn't have strong drink or wine. The same thing for Samson. Samson was supposed to be a Nazarene or something or a Nazarite. He wasn't supposed to have run through no vineyards or drink wine or touch dead things. And he did a lot of that stuff, too. But the point is, the verse 19 in Luke 1 says, 
And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, that that shall be dumb and not speak. And then um, when baby John was born, he opened up his mouth and was able to say John. But again, he just shut up the mouth of him. He didn't make him feel like he was going to um, kill himself. And then there was one other. Oh, yes, we have um, Gabriel appearing unto Mary in Luke verse 6. Well, I want to say it's 6, but ah, yes. So it says um, around verse 26 in chapter 1, it says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Yeshua, or Jesus. He shall be great. And he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto you, unto him, the throne of his father David. Okay. Um, and so we just, um, pretty much you see that it says the angel came unto him. And this angel is um, Gabriel that came. So he left Elizabeth and then he left Zechariah and then he came. And, and of course, I believe he goes to Joseph later on, but not. So my point is... He seems to always have good news when he comes, Gabriel. Um, even before when he went to go see Zechariah, he said, you know, um, you're beloved. Or he said something about, you know, you are beloved. No, Daniel. He said to Daniel, he said, you are beloved. Don't worry. And this, I'm just here to give you skill and understanding so you can interpret this dream so you can know what's going to happen. And even let him know into the secrets of the Messiah. That's why... Um, Khadijah's cousin, who was trying to minister falsely, a false prophet ministering to a future false prophet, telling him that that was it, that must have been Gabriel, because Gabriel is the, the angel of the Hebrews who guards the secrets, because Gabriel does know the secrets, but this was never said, and then it wasn't until later on that the angel just said, you know what, yeah, 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 I'm Gabriel, I'm Gabriel, uh, do what I tell you to do, but every single time you want to kill yourself, God does not give you the spirit of fear, and if you get that afraid, he's going to, oh, they're always going to tell you fear or not, you never had them, and there's other angels that visit, we're just talking about Gabriel right now, because if they're going to use his name, we got to go back to the scripture to see what is Gabriel's true heart about, and that's not Gabriel's heart at all. He said, the one, he's the one that stands in the presence of God and is sent to speak to thee and to show thee these glad tidings, he said. You know, this is what he said to um, Zechariah. He said, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and sent to send you glad tidings. To Mary, he said, um, fear not, okay? And hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you. You know, and then when he was talking to Daniel, he said, you are beloved. 
You understand what I'm trying to say? So even if there was ever a fear or moment, because I'm sure like it just they just came out of nowhere. It's kind of like you're sitting in a room and something manifests. I don't think it's the fear that you're going to kill me. It's just the fear like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like I'm sure I would fall out on my face. But I'm sure there's a peace and a presence that comes with the messenger, this angel that's truly of God. So now I want to go back to um, this article and finish out by simply saying that um, when the real, but like I said, the real Gabriel visited Mary and she was perplexed and afraid. But during her experience with Gabriel, she gained confidence and straight. She knew that God loved her. She did not become irrational or depressed. She did not run around frightened or out of her mind. She did not not attempt suicide praise god because the savior was going to be within her womb and because um she knew she was loved and accepted she knew that this message was of god that god was real and that she had absolutely nothing to fear there god does not send or give us a spirit of fear he does not do that okay so when jesus began his ministry he was baptized with water right and the holy spirit descended upon him God spoke from heaven. I mean, even if you heard a voice and you knew it was from God and you heard a voice, you know, you know if it's demonic or not. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And there was no panic attacks, suppression, or doubt. Okay. And after Jesus was um, attacked by Satan in the desert when he was doing his 40-day fast and, and, and he had to recite scripture, and I mentioned that in the previous episode, after that happened, he was ministered by angels. But... Um, Muhammad was never ministered by any angels. And not only that, after Jesus was ministered by the angels who came to minister unto him, he felt more empowered and more, and more, you know, like more recharged and ready to go. He did not want to kill himself. Okay. Anyway, as you read the stories about the people in the Bible who encountered God or angels, his messengers, you do not find anything that resembles anything that comes remotely close to Muhammad's experiences. So, um... You got to understand that Muhammad's entire prophethood rests solely upon what a spirit just so happened to tell him. You know what I mean? And the fact that it didn't say it was Gabriel until later, or even if it said it was Gabriel in the beginning, we have looked at the true mindset and the true patterns of Archangel Gabriel. God bless him. You know what I mean? And his message style and his delivery style when he comes to visit and he do not fit that caliber and we got like three accords versus that one accord that's a different one maybe the angel name was gabriel but it wasn't the gabriel for the of the heroes if you understand what i'm trying to say so um you know some people were filled with real fear but they never became depressed as a result of the experience you know these people fellowship with god by choice they wasn't pressured or pressed Okay, some walked, um, you know, with him, you know. But the point is, none of them contemplated suicide. You know, and then, of course, every time it says that, every time I say Muhammad tried to commit suicide, I say the Spirit stopped him. Why would the Spirit stop him? Well, some people are like, well, the Spirit stopped him because they want to know. Because they knew that he probably was the best candidate to go and bring forth this new satanic agenda. Every day a new a new um, demon is manifesting itself somewhere and, and becoming the head or, or the uh, new face of a new religion as to be the object of worship and adoration. You know, it's been doing this since the beginning of time. You're looking at pictures of Shiva and half of these other goddesses and nut and all of those some things. And you see how the people depict them. They, they depict them how they saw them. 
these things really manifested themselves at a certain day of time and they really look like that, you know. And so um, they attributed these things because at the end of the day, it is technically compared to a human being. When you see anything that comes to your realm that's supernatural, you're automatically going to deem it God with a little g. You know, because automatically it's, it's, it's supernatural. It's not of human things. It's, it's It can do way more than human is. It's not as limited as a human is. And so, therefore, you give it the title of some kind of a godlike entity, little g. You know, but um, that's what they would do. And then they would just worship the thing. Or the thing probably pressed it. Maybe the thing pressed the people, too, and terrorized them, too. You see, Muhammad started going into all these. Nobody had to do that. The Jewish, uh, the, the real original tribes of Israel was a family. So it was a bloodline, it was an understanding of family tradition. Nobody had to beat anybody into um, obligation or submission, and God don't even force nobody to follow him today. So lastly, just to conclude, um, I mean, like, if you had to break it down, I would just say my conclusion is that Muhammad experienced a, de- a demonic visitation and that it damaged his mental health, that it was Satan or one of his demons that appeared to Muhammad uh, this horrible experience terrorized him, depressed him, and caused him to attempt suicide on, I mean, on many, numerous occasions. I want to say more than five. It made him, I would say, mentally ill. But Satan protected his investment. And when Muhammad was left alone, the truth about what really happened depressed and frightened him. You know, it would always surface in his mind. So, I mean, um... I feel like once Muhammad's brain got fried enough, Satan technically won the prize, and he 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 got somebody to come in, and now you have that. And the only last thing I want to say is that the modern-day black Islamic people of the day are just, they're just, I wouldn't say they're the descendants of the people who used to follow um, Malcolm X, but they were. And the black Muslims who were following the nation of Islam who still are under the nation of Islam. You are, they're so deceived, it's not even funny, which is what Malcolm X started to speak out about. It's not that that, that um, the nation of Islam has nothing to do with Islam, the religion. It is actually just like the CIA-informed thing. And I hate to say this, but even my black Muslim friends, and I don't want to judge anybody because it's not about judging anybody, but Islam was supposed to be a way of life and a lifestyle, right? Everything down to the way they dress is supposed to, to hinder them from having sex and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, the black Muslims compared to the Middle Eastern Arabic Muslims, like from overseas or the ones that live over here, to completely different Muslims, and I don't care what nobody say, you might say you're doing this in mosque and all of this, but it's completely different Muslims because the ones that are Arab descent, I feel, are a little bit more disciplined. I didn't say they don't slip up. I didn't say they're perfect. There's nobody perfect, but I feel like compared to even the young black Muslims of my day, it seems like being Muslim is more of a... um of a trending thing because they don't follow the book like they're supposed to. They like to spit all of that Allah, like whatever. But at the end of the day, like when it comes down to them, half of them is unwed with kids. You know, these Muslim men are rocking around here with their beers and they just doing the beers just to look good now. Now it's just, now it's just I don't know. That's just my personal opinion with the black ones. And you got some of them that's really on their dean. Don't get it twisted. But I know some people that, you know, this Ramadan, they, as soon as we, they, they're not on their dean all year. As soon as Ramadan comes, they want to try to be on their dean. And some of them is low-key eating too. You know, but my point is they don't be as disciplined, it seems to me, as the ones that are were the true Islam Muslims, not um um 
progenerated or, or, or programmed to come into play by the nation of Islam. It's like two different Islams. Either way, they all bat and they bow down to a stone and they worship it and go around it seven times a day and they kiss it and they worship it. And the Ten Commandments is very clear. All right. And no, that stone did not come from Abraham. Abraham don't got no stone. And that's all I got to say about that. So thank you for tuning in to another episode of Who's on the Lord's Side. I hope this episode um, kind of shines some light on this Islamic um, false prophet thing, but with more resources and information for you, like a background story. You know, share the story sometimes with people. Google it, too, if you want to know a little bit more about it or you want more proof before you go speak to someone who might be of Muslim descent, you know what I mean, or... If you're a Muslim descent, please don't get offended with what I'm saying to you. Please know that I didn't just say it off the top of my head. If you just happen to chime in just to hear what somebody is saying about you all, I didn't just get this off the top of my head. I honestly and wholeheartedly tried to refer to, if you want to know which article it was, I'm going to pull that up too. That has all the references in the bibliography. It says it uses the Bible. It says it uses the Sahih al-Bukhari, the Sarat Rasul Allah by Ibn Ishaq, as translated by the life of Muhammad. They had the Kitab al-Tabakat al-Kabir, which is Book of Major Classes, translated by S. Manuel Haq, the history of al-Tabari, Muhammad at Mecca, the Quran. Okay, so um, then it says um, Muhammad's suicide attempts are documented in several, several prominent Islamic source materials, like Bukhari's Sahih collection of Hadith, Ibn Ishaq's Surat Rasulallah. It's all here. But the article, if you want to see it, is, is answeringislam.org. And it's um, Muhammad's suicide attempts by Silas, S-I-L-A-S. So my point is I didn't get it from anywhere. And all of this is well-documented, well-resourced, okay? I will see you all a little later here on Who's on the Lord's Side. God bless. Have a blessed week.